in Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the first part of verse 4. If you have that, say amen. If you have that, say amen. <clears throat> the book of Revelation, how many of y'all want to understand the book of Revelation? It's an awesome book. It's the book of ultimates, book of prophecy. The Bible says the title of the book is Revelation, the revelation of St. John the Divine. That's the King James title. The revelation of St. John the Divine. That is not an inspired title. Amen. And I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. But verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ is what the Bible says. Notice it doesn't say the revelations of Jesus Christ. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you right now for your awesome spirit. Dear Lord Jesus, let your word go forth, I pray today, Jesus, without hindrance, liberty of your spirit. We give you glory, honor, and praise right now for the book of Revelation and your revelation to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the title, The Revelation of St. John the Divine is a, a title that was given to the book later in history. The Bible actually says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you talk about, when you say that the revelation of St. John the Divine, the reason why they call John divine is because that's simply another word for theologian. When they gave this title, they didn't say that St. John was divine in the sense that he was God. What they were doing was saying that John is divine, which is another word or means the same thing as a theologian, which means he focused on the nature of God. Matthew is not called divine. Mark's not called divine. Luke's not called divine anywhere. John, this title here, he's called divine because they understood that he was a theologian, a studier of the nature of who? God. But the Bible says in verse chapter 1, verse 1, the true message is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So what happened is John received the book of Revelation. Amen. God gave it to Jesus, the Son. The Son gave it to his angel, and the angel gave it to John. So John was the receiver and the recorder of the message but John didn't get a revelation of anything. 
What that means is this. He did not reveal this. God revealed it. Jesus revealed it. The Spirit of God that was in Jesus revealed this to John. Then John gave it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. So he simply was the one who wrote down the revelation and the record that he received. He didn't reveal anything. God revealed it to him. Do you understand that? And being a theologian, he was involved in studying and understanding the nature of God. So it is the revelation, singular, of Jesus Christ, not revelations, plural of Jesus Christ, because it's a revelation of Jesus. And it is a revelation of future events. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis is a form of writing. Apocalypse means to unveil, to uncover, to make naked. It means manifestation. It also means appearing. It means coming. So when you talk about apocalypse, you're talking about a form of writing that basically has to do with pictures. Now God gave his message to prophets and the word, the prophetic word he gave them was many times uttered. It was uttered prophecy. And so not all of prophecy is apocalyptic. Because some prophecy is uttered prophecy. When you talk about apocalyptic prophecy, you're talking about prophecy not just uttered, but prophecy visualized. And so we have a visualization, a visualization of the prophetic word with all kinds of signs and symbols and pictures, etc. That is what apocalyptic writing is. It has to do with picture, visual, visualization of prophecy. Not just the uttered word, but actually seeing the prophecy come before you. So John received the apocalypse. He received the book that unveils, that uncovers in picture form. What was revealed to him? Well, the word of God is a revelation. Also, Jesus is the revelation of God. Because you're talking about a revelation is an unfolding or a manifestation or an unveiling of truth that was not yet known before this time. So what John is getting, he's getting a revelation from God of something that was not known before the time. And what he's talking about is, is the ultimate glory of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the, the coming judge. That he's going to come and judge this world. Amen. And he's going to come in glory and power as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So he's showed things that were not yet seen in its ultimate sense. It does fall along the lines of, of two other very important passages of Scripture. The book of Daniel and the book of Matthew 24. Daniel 7 gives you a pattern, a structure. Matthew 24 also gives you, in the Olivet Discourse, a structure. Then Revelation begins in revelation gives you a more full picture of the same structure it's apocalyptic so it is a revealing and unfolding of truth that was not known up to this point in its fullness 
when, it, when you talk about an appearing or a person or thing, it has to do with a visible manifestation of that person. So when we talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ, we're talking about his visible appearing. We're talking about his manifestation. We're talking about as if a man would come out from behind the veil and would be seen literally and visibly. So when I talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about his visible manifestation. And in an ultimate sense, the book of Revelation is talking about his second coming. Now, I really don't like that word second coming. Because there are many comings of the Lord and many appearings of the Lord. But for your understanding, I'm talking about the first coming of the Lord. The first advent was his physical appearance when he came the first time when he walked this earth. This book deals with his second physical appearance in bodily form at the end of time. When he comes in the end of the last days as the judge and king of kings and lord of lords and brings in the fulfillment and consummation of all that the prophets of the old testament said and he does it in picture form for us so revelation two things it is a revealing of truth and it is a revealing of a person physically literally manifest to you do you understand that praise god when you talk about the structure of the book of revelation it falls along the same lines as the structure of Daniel chapter 7. When you look at Daniel chapter 7, you have a general overview of prophecy in Daniel 7. In Matthew 24, same thing. Matthew 24 takes up where Daniel left off. And Jesus speaks to his disciples and he shows them more detail about what Daniel saw in Daniel 7. Okay? So, that's the structure. Now watch. General overview in Daniel 7 Matthew 24 a general overview first revelation a general overview okay of prophecy adding more detail as we go in Daniel 7 you have a general general overview listen to me Daniel 7 Matthew 24 and Revelation here's what you got here's the structure of the book you have a general overview then you have the focus on the persecution of the saints after you have the persecution of the saints, then you have the destruction of the beast and his kingdom. And number four, you have the coming in of the kingdom of God. That's what Daniel 7 teaches. That's what Matthew 24 teaches. And then that's what the book of Revelation teaches, okay? Revelation, though, again, is in apocalyptic form. It comes in visions. That, and it's not the first book of apocalypse, Isaiah saw visions of God. That was an apocalypse. Daniel saw visions of beast and, and God on the throne, the Son of Man. That's apocalyptic because it's prophecy in visual form. So this isn't the first book of apocalypse, all right? But it is the revelation of Jesus Christ concerning his second coming. Amen. And his appearing. Amen. Do you understand this so far? All right. The Bible says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you talk about revelation, what are you talking about? I already told you what the word means, okay? But what, I want, what I'm trying to get you to understand is what does that picture, what is, what is important about the word revelation or apocalypse? It is God. I'm not asking you to answer my question. I'm just asking this for, for thought, for, to in, inspire your thought. Okay, Amen. Uh, what I'm trying to show you is that I'm not just trying to define a word. I'm trying to explain to you what revelation means when you're talking about God. 
Okay? When you talk about revelation in the aspect of God himself, it's about God. It's about, when you talk about revelation or uncovering or unveiling or manifestation in relationship to God, it has to do with God. So when it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is literally showing you that he is the God who reveals himself to man. He's not just a man, but he's God come in the flesh. When Jesus came the first time, John the theologian, who deals with the nature of God, declared that God became a man. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that word was God. And so there was a manifestation of God, a revealing of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. You understand? So when you talk about revelation, you're talking about God revealing himself. When I come to the book of Revelation, also written by John the Apostle, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's a revelation of Jesus as God and a man. Not just a man, but God. Because when you talk about revelation in the Old Testament, you're talking about God who is the one who's in charge of all history. And he's the living God, Jeremiah 10.10 says. He is the living God who is in charge of all history, number one, which if you look at Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 10, you will see that God is literally in control of the nations of the world. He literally can hiss at the nations of the world and they come running to him, the figurative beekeeper, the nations flee to him as bees, fulfilling his purpose. So when you talk about God in Revelation, you're talking about the God of history. The God who's in control of all nations. He is in control of the rising and the falling of all nations. He is in control of what those nations do. Are you understanding what I'm saying? He's in absolute total control. So when I come to the book of Revelation, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it shows you that he's in control of all history. He's in control of the rising and falling of all nations. He's in control of what they do in this earth. Hallelujah. He is in control of them. He judges the wicked and he blesses the righteous. Are you understanding what I'm trying to show you here? He brings down kingdoms. He judges kingdoms. And he lifts kingdoms up. So when you talk about a revelation of God, you're talking about the God who is alive and the God who is in charge of history. And so Jesus is that God. He's also, when you talk about the God of revelation, you're talking about the God who's the God of creation. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? He has all power. And he said just simply let there be and there was. So he's the God of creation. He's also the God of salvation. He is the redeemer of mankind. So when you talk about revelation, you're talking about God. You're talking about deity manifested. Hallelujah. It's not just an uncovering. It's a, a manifestation of deity. It's a manifestation of the God of history. It's a manifestation of the God of creation. It's a manifestation of the God in salvation. Come on, somebody. You understand what I'm telling you today? So it's a manifestation of deity. But it's God revealing himself to man. 
Now, if you understood how awesome that is, that God would literally invite you into fellowship. Because it, 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 unless God reveals himself to you and me, he stays hidden. He stays veiled. And if he stays veiled, he stays hidden. I cannot have fellowship with him. Because I don't know anything about him. I can't have fellowship with a hidden God. Whoosh. I can't have a relationship with the hidden God. I can't even understand him if he's a hidden God. Are you with me right now? Woo. And in the background of this study in the book of Revelation, you have Greek culture. And Greek culture, you had certain men, hallelujah, etc. One man's name was Epicurean. And he had a group called the Epicureans. And the Epicureans believed in deity. They believed in God, but God's plural, but they didn't believe that God was in relationship to mankind in this world. That he simply just created everything and let it run its course. Are you with me right now? So they believed in God's plural, not one God like we do, but many gods, who, but he didn't get involved. You had other people like Pythagoras and, and other people who believed that God was not only a God of power and creation, but he was a God who worked miracles. That there wasn't just a God, but this God was actually involved in working miracles and signs. The problem with the Greek culture is this, though. They believed, they said it this way, well, because there is a God, praise man. Their focus was on mankind. So they said, well, we know there's a, a God, and because there's a God, praise man. The Bible, on the other hand, says, uh, it reveals to us that we need to praise God. Not just, you know, <laughs> thank God for man, but we need to. So it's not the focus. The focus isn't so much on man as it is God's revelation to man. And because we have a revelation of God that he didn't keep hiding himself. But he wanted to fellowship with you and fellowship with me. Because of his willingness to unveil himself, disclose himself to us. Then we are a very, very special people when we understand the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because it is God coming to man and saying to man, I want to fellowship with you. I want you to know me. And I want you to praise me. So in the Greek culture, they thought, well, yeah, there's a God, so praise man. The focus is man. And not only that, but Greek culture believed that they, mankind, are the ones who unveiled God. The Bible doesn't tell us, though, that man unveils God. The Bible tells us that God unveils himself. That it is God who brings us a revelation of himself. If he doesn't give me a revelation, if he is always hiding, Isaiah 45 talks about God is a God who hides at times. But thank God he comes forth and reveals himself out of that hidden place from behind the veil so that I can have a relationship and I can fellowship with this God. And it's not man that unveils him, but it's God's desire to unveil himself to you so that you'll have a relationship and you can know him. Hallelujah. Give God praise. The Greeks focused on the mind of man. 
They believe that the thought of man, the mind of man, is what you needed to master the world. But God tells us it's not your mind, your thoughts, that give you the ability to master your world. The Bible tells us it's God who gave dominion to man. So your dominion and your mastery comes from God. It's not on how smart you are, how many brains you got, because your brains can never reveal God to you. You can never ever uncover God uh, by your intellect. And you can never master your world without God first coming to you and giving you that power to have dominion, dominion in this earth. So again, the focus is not Greek thoughts, the focus is God's revelation of himself and God giving to man that revelation of himself and then God saying, okay, I'm going to give you dominion, dominion over this earth. Give God some praise. That he is the creator of the universe. He's in charge of all things. And the only way I have any control or authority in this life is if it first, if it comes from the Lord himself. Amen. So we're talking about revelation. Thank God he was willing to be unhidden. Thank God he was willing to disclose himself. Thank God he was revealing to, uh, uh, re- revealed himself to us. Thank God we know him as the God who's in charge of all history, the rising and falling of all nations, and in charge of even the things that they're doing. God is in charge. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who has given man dominion in this earth. A God I can know. A God I can have a relationship. A God I can walk with. A God I can, ooh, yeah, understand. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the God of all history. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the, dis- the self-discloser of God to mankind. He is deity manifested in the flesh. He is not a second person in a fictitious trinity. He is the manifestation of the spirit of God. You need to understand this. That even the Greeks understood when you talk about apocalypse or you talk about unveiling or uncovering or making naked something. When it has to do with a person being literally seen or manifest or truth being seen or manifest. You need to understand that even the Greek mind had an understanding that it took a body. That it took a body to manifest the spiritual. You couldn't see the spiritual without some kind of body. And so God became a man. He took on a body so that he could manifest himself to mankind in the, in the body of Jesus Christ. But now... He's now manifesting himself in the body, his church. He's appearing in you. Hallelujah. He's appearing in me. He's manifesting himself in us because we are his body. Do you understand that? But in the book of Revelation, we're we're not just going to talk about how he's appearing now in us, but we're going to be talking about how he's going to appear literally and physically in his revelation as the judge of the world, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, creator of heavens and the earth, the Lord of all history, the God who desires to have a relationship with you, a God who wants you to know him. So it's deity manifest when I talk about revelation. Woo. Give God some praise. So 
So when you talk about Revelation, you talk about apocalypse, you need to understand that this book is an awesome book is because it's revealing Jesus to you. It's saying, come on out from behind the veil. Let's see you visibly and physically. Let's see you in manifestation. Let's see you in glory. Let's see you as the soon coming judge and the king of kings and Lord of lords. Let's see you. Let me see Jesus because the Bible said that the spirit of prophecy is what? The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So everything in prophecy, whether it be Old or New Testament, is a prophecy. It's pointing you to Jesus Christ. It's to reveal truth about him. Hallelujah. And then not only that, so that you can see him literally, physically in the world now and to come. Are you understanding so far? The focus of the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Woo. So it's not revelations of Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus. It's going to show you who he is. That he's God. That he's a man. That he's the king. That he's the judge. And the focus of the structure is, again, general prophecy. Persecution of the saints. The, the, the downfall and destruction of the beast in his kingdom. And the setting up of the kingdom of God. And that's why it's so important for you to hear this word. Especially in the last days. Because Acts chapter 2 tells us when the Holy Ghost was poured out. That he brought in the age to come. Are you with me? When the Holy Ghost was poured out. Then he plunged us into the last days. We're already in the last days. But what is unique with the book of Revelation. It has to do with the revelation of Jesus coming as judge and king to set up his earthly kingdom. That's the next thing on the agenda of God is that he sets up his physical, literal kingdom upon this earth. That's his next agenda. You've got to hear that today. And so it's important for us as a church to listen to this word of God. Amen. Because it is written to four groups. It is written, number one, to the church. It's written to the church, Revelation 2 and 3. Because, and why it's written to the church is because he's showing you the disobedient in the church. And he's showing you the obedient in the church. He's telling the church, don't be disobedient, but be obedient. In light of the fact that the kingdom of God is going to be set up, blessings for those who obey, but suffering for those who disobey. So you need to hear it, church, today, that we're in the last days, and the next thing on the agenda of God is the setting up of his literal physical kingdom. But before that happens, there is a seven-year period of time called Daniel's 70th week. And I'm going to preach this from the perspective that the church is going to be in that seven-year period. And in that time, all kinds of uh, uh, seal judgments and trumpet judgments and bowl judgments will be poured out on this earth preceding uh, the revelation of Jesus, preceding his visible appearing in the clouds uh, to come back to this earth. And I'm going to preach it from the perspective that the church is in the earth and that God has given the book of Revelation to the church to let you know that you need to be prepared. To let you know that you need to be obedient. To let you know that you need to walk with God. To let you know that the disobedient will be judged, but the obedient will be blessed. Give God some praise in this house. 
Secondarily, it's written to the nation of Israel. Right now, they are in unbelief. And so the book of Revelation is written to unbelieving Israel to show them things to come, which must shortly come to pass, so that Israel will come into the fold of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Thirdly, it's written to, hallelujah, praise God, it's written to the nations of the world as a whole. It's written to, in general, people in the world today. So the church, unbelieving Israel. To the church, believing and unbelieving. To the church, obedient and disobedient. To Israel in unbelief. Hallelujah. And also to the world as a whole. The Gentile nations as a whole. It's written to these groups of people to tell them to get obedient. To tell the church to be obedient. To tell the church to repent. To tell the church to get right. And if you'll get right, then you'll be blessed. But if you don't get right, then you will suffer greatly. Do you understand today? And so he says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. He's, got, he's saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to come back in visible, physical manifestation. And when I come back, I'm going to bring judgment in the earth. He's the judge that's coming back. He's the king that's coming back. Hallelujah. Do you understand this? It's God revealing himself to man. Now. We know that's, that's future in the physical, literal way. But I need you to understand Matthew chapter 11 and 27 tells us that when Jesus came the first time, he revealed the Father. So there was a revelation of Jesus Christ when he came the first time, and that was to reveal the Father in his first coming. In his second coming, it's also a revelation of Jesus, but it's a picture. He's not coming as somebody that's going to die on a cross next time. He's going to come back in glory and power. He's going to come back as king and judge. I'm here to tell you right now, the world, when Jesus ascended up, that's the last time the world ever saw him. But that's not the last time they will ever see him. He's going to come back and he's going to make all things right. And for those that look for his appearing, shall he appear unto salvation the second time those who walk in obedience with the Lord are going to be blessed so he's coming back the Bible says the first time is not the last time he's coming back now we as a church have seen him it's spiritual but he's coming back literally do you get the point here so when he came the first time, he came to reveal the Father, Matthew 11. He clearly says, I am the one who reveals God to you. He's God come in the flesh. Give God praise. <laughs> says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Say Jesus Christ. Jesus, the word Jesus literally means salvation. It, all, it really, you know, when you look it up, uh, it can mean the Lord is salvation. Or yod yod hey vav hey, the Lord of the Old Testament is salvation. So the God of the Old Testament enrobed himself as a man. And that man revealed the Father to man. And that same man went to the cross and died for man on that cross. So that man could have a relationship and a revelation and a fellowship with that God. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is Jesus. He is God's Savior. He is Lord Savior. He's God come in the flesh. He's the, yeah. He's in charge of all history. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. But he's also the redeemer who's come. God manifest in the flesh. He is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Say Jesus again. Say Jesus again. 
It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one. And in this context, it shows us he's anointed in power and kingly reign. He's coming in power and kingly reign. He's the Christos, the Christ of God, the anointed man with power in the kingdom to reign in the kingdom. He is Savior and King with power and glory to reign. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is the one that reveals God to man. He's the one that protects us. Hallelujah. He's the one that resurrects us with power. He's the one that redeemed me by his blood and filled me with the Holy Ghost. Set me on my feet and gave me resurrection life. So that someday I'll reign with him in power and great glory. Prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, he came to speak for God. In fact, he was God speaking. As priest, he came to bridge the gap between man and God. How are you with me? And as king, he came to protect you. Give God some praise. To govern your life. He came to save you. How are you with me? As a priest, he came to reveal God as the word of God. He came as a king to govern my life. And if you'll hear it and you'll subject yourself to him, you will be blessed in days to come. Give God some praise. The Bible said, which God gave unto him. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus is over here on his right hand, uh, literally and physically. And God said, here's uh, the book that I want you to give to John. What is talking about the spirit of God that was in Jesus. God, the spirit that was in him, gave him this revelation. And so Jesus gave as God, come on, as God, he gave this revelation to his angel. And his angel gave it to John. He signified it, which means he gave it to him in symbols. He gave it to him in signs. He gave it to him in visual prophecy, like women and like beasts. So sometimes beasts represent, <laughs> come on somebody. Beasts represent humanity sometimes. And sometimes angels represent men. Come on. So we've got women here and we've got beasts in this thing. It's written in visual prophetic form so that John literally saw in signs and symbols this prophecy concerning the manifestation, appearing, uncovering of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And the truth to who? To the church, to Israel, and to the world as a whole to make sure you get under God. Hallelujah. Now watch this. He says he sent it and signified by his angel unto his servant John. Is that a literal angel? It's a specific angel of some kind. I don't know who the angel is. The Bible said it doesn't give us the name of the angel. But the Bible talks about angels in the book of Revelation. And they are ministers of the gospel. So it could be that this angel is not a literal angel. And it could be that it is a literal angel. That brings this message from Jesus Christ who is God to John and delivers it to him. But I just wonder if this angel is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. Because the prophets in the Old Testament declared the, soon, the, the coming king in his judgment in the kingdom age, etc. I wonder if God were using prophets to stand up and say, yes, that's what God gave me in the Old Testament. And this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of the word that was given to me in the Old Testament. 
So that in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, prophesy. But now I can tell you, Jesus doesn't say the word of the Lord came unto me. And, he's, and I prophesied. He said, I say unto you. Because he's the fulfillment of what the prophets saw. So it could be that prophets are standing up there and they're saying, okay, yeah, this is it. This is the book and this is the prophecy and Jesus is the fulfillment. This is the ultimate. This is the completion. This is the consummation of everything that's ever been seen. Everything that the prophets said in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, is consummated in him. I want you to know today, he is not only the, the one who's coming to set up his kingdom. I want you to know he is the kingdom in person. He is the kingdom in person. He is the kingdom. He is the word. He is prophecy. It's all about Jesus Christ. Do you understand that today? But they're talking about him coming and setting up that earthly kingdom here. Amen. Give God praise. Verse 2. It says, who have record of the word, who bear record of the word of God. He bear record of what? The word of God. The Word of God is a name for God Himself. Do you get it? Genesis 15, the Bible said, concerning Abraham, it said the Word of the Lord appeared to Abraham. Who was it that appeared to Abraham? God appeared to Abraham. God manifests Himself to Abraham in a visible form. But the Bible said in Genesis 15, the Word came to Abraham because the Word is simply another name for God Himself. So when it says he bear record of the word, it's about God. It's Jesus he's talking about. But it's also the record of the prophecy, the written word too, that comes to us. That causes the persecution upon the church. Because you've got a record of the word of God and you know the living word and you understand the written word and you declare and proclaim and prophesy the written word about the living word because of that. This book of Revelation is trying to show you that's why the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are going to be persecuted. That's why John is cast out on the Isle of Patmos. Not just, come on, not just because he preached the word but he got cast out on the Isle of Patmos to receive the word he went out there to get this prophetic word by visions on the cosmic screen of the universe as God flashed one symbol and one sign before him in a cave in a time of persecution for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ so sometimes I suffer not just because I'm proclaiming and declaring the word. Sometimes I'm in a cave somewhere so I can get the word. He went in the cave there on the Isle of Patmos in the marble mines to get this word from God. Just like Moses went up into Mount Sinai to get the revelation from God. Mo, uh, John went into the cave to get this revelation of God in the New Testament. Come on somebody, are you with me right now? And what is it for? For the time of the persecuted church. If Jesus doesn't come and take you out and rapture you out before the tribulation period comes... He's trying to tell you these things you need to know and you need to understand them and you need to be obedient and walk with him. This is what you're going to need to know in the time of persecution when it gets real bad. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. 
See, I want to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Faithful unto the death if need be. If I'm thrown in a cave somewhere, I want to be faithful to him. He bear record of the word of God, the Bible says. God is the word. Jesus is the living word and also the preached word, the prophetic word. Because when you talk about the word of God here, you're not just talking about the word of God in general. You're not just talking about all the books of the Bible. You're talking about God speaking. Wednesday night after I left church, after God spoke so powerfully to us in bodies of that service. I went to my house and I sat there and I waited for my wife as she was working on the books. Many times when we get at home, you know, after church on Wednesday, it's way late in the night before we ever go to bed. And while she was working on the books of the church, I simply <clears throat> switched my channels over to a, a preaching service that was going on. And this woman, who many believe to be a prophetess to the nations, was preaching. And she was preaching very powerfully. And would you believe that that woman preached some of the very same things that I preached in relationship to learning how to speak in tongues? She said the same thing I did. And I, looked, and I felt chills run all through my body. And I, told, I looked at my wife and I said this, God is speaking to us. It's not just a man that stands up behind the pulpit, but it's God speaking. When God speaks and when God preaches to people, is a powerful thing. And so it says he bear record of the word of God. He's talking about God speak. He's talking about God talk. He's talking about God message. He's talking about God's prophetic utterance to us. It's when God preaches to us. And so... The Lord showed me, he said, you know, he said, he said, you preached my word to my people. He said, and now I'm preaching it back to you. I preached it out of you. Now I'm going to preach it to you, said God. Because the word that's going forth many times is not just a word from the lips of men, but is a prophetic word from God to the house. It's God himself speaking to us. And that's what it means here when it says the word of God. It's not just the general written word that you sit down and read on the lunch hour. It's a very powerful, prophetic, God-talking kind of word that comes forth in the house. And that's the book that was delivered to the seven churches of Asia. It was a book that was to be read out loud. They were commanded to read it out loud to the congregation. It was God talk. It was God speak. It was God's revelation. Concerning his son Jesus Christ and things to come. Powerful word. Powerful word. Reverential word. A word that needs to be bowed to. And that's what he said. I bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Testimony of Jesus Christ. Testimony means comes from the Greek word martyr. Uh, we get the word martyr from. He says literally I bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The martyrdom of Jesus Christ. It takes you back to the crucifixion. It takes you back to the cross. Are you with me right now? My future depends on my past dying. 
it really it really depends on his dying for me so he says I bear record of the word of God it's prophetic and it's powerful and it's God's talking and it's his testimony and it's in relationship to his work at the cross when he died for you and me it's in relationship to your dying with him on that cross so that your future depends on your past relationship with Jesus. Your future reigning depends on your past crucifixion. And if you're going to be a faithful witness, then you're going to have to be martyred for him. There's times that you're going to have to suffer for him. Hello, somebody. And so that's why he's wanting you to know this book. Because there's going to be times of persecution that's going to come. Times of suffering that's going to come. Jesus died for you on the cross. That's where your power is. That's where the finished work is for you. But you're going to have to testify and proclaim it before men. And not be ashamed of me at my coming. You've got some praise in this house. So it has to do with martyrdom. If you're a true witness, you're a martyr. You died to your life. You died to yourself. Times in the night you can't even sleep because you're so troubled. You have visions in the night, dreams in the night concerning God's church. And you're troubled. You can't sleep. You got to get up in the middle of the night and pray. You got to ask your wife to pray for the church because the church is in trouble at times. You've got to be in a place where you're suffering and you're dying to be able to stand up with an anointing to declare God's word in the house. It's connected to suffering. It's not an easy road. If it was, John wouldn't have been on the Isle of Patmos. The place, the word Patmos means the place of his killing. So I've got to look back to the cross and say, yeah, that's where I died. I died there. I'm not my own anymore. And then I go forth and I proclaim and I testify and I preach the word of the living God. And by the grace of God, I don't, come on, I don't have the revelation. Come on, God has to reveal it to us. I have never revealed anything. Nor have you. You have never revealed anything. If it was a true revelation, it came from God. God came and spoke through you that revelation. And you knew it was his prophetic word. And it concerned the finished work of the cross. Hallelujah. So he bears record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he what? That he saw. He saw prophecy. Isn't that awesome? You know, how many of y'all heard God talk to you before? And you knew that was God talking to you. Say, boy, that's the Lord. I know that's God. And that's an uttered word from God. But how would you like to go in a vision? And begin to see on a cosmic screen visions pass before you. The prophetic future laid out before you in signs and symbols and pictures. That's where John was on the Isle of Patmos, the place of his killing. Hallelujah. He goes on and he says this right here. Woo, yes. Thank you, God. He said, blessed is he that readeth. Say, readeth. Literally read it out loud in the congregation. Read it. We are commanded to read the word of God out loud in the congregation. Read it so they can hear it. 
And then he goes on. Now, who's it written to? Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. So they said, read it out loud to my servants. Read it out loud to my bond slaves. Read it out loud to my love slaves. Read it out loud to those people who have willingly subordinated themselves to me. Read it out loud to those people who walked obedient to me. Read it out loud to my living elect. Read it out loud to my real true church. Read it out loud to those who say yes and obey me because they are my servants. They are obedient. They will subordinate themselves to me. They are my living elect and they are my true church. And it's to those people I want you to read it out loud. I want you to read it to my love slaves, my bond servants. And the word slave here doesn't just mean that you're some kind of, you know, uh, low-life slave. The word bond slave literally means it's a place of honor. Some people say the church isn't in the book of Revelation because they're never called servants. And they use the text that says, I will call you son and no longer call you servants. But what you need to understand is there are different, different levels of relationship with God. And the area of servants, he's talking about uh, not people who just low, low people. It's people who are a place of honor. It's the people who have the authority of the master to implement, implement the master's purpose in the earth. When I call you a servant, in fact, when the prophets of old were called servants, it was the highest honor you could ever give a man or a woman was to call her a servant of God. Prophets were called servants of the Lord. They represented the master with authority from the master to implement his authority in the earth. It's a position of honor and power. To be called a servant of the Lord God. Give God some praise. And these bond slaves, you go to the Old Testament. What is a love slave? Well, there were certain slaves that were slaves uh, by choice. And these slaves by choice were love slaves, bond slaves. They didn't have to be slaves. They could have walked out of church any day they wanted to. Come on, somebody. I'm here to tell you right now, the prophets of old were servants of God, and they insisted on obedience to his word. They insisted on it, but they never made the people do it. You can't beat people into obedience, but you can insist upon the obedience of God's word. In fact, to not obey this awesome king named Jesus, to not obey him in one area is to be an abomination to him. A servant who does not obey the master is an abomination to him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so the prophets insisted upon the bond servants serving him and obeying him. But they never, they could not beat them into submission. Give God some praise. Where'd that come from? It came from the Spirit. This morning I had two dreams, rapid dreams that came to me. One concerning my family and one concerning the church.
And God showed me continue to declare the word. Continue to proclaim the word. Continue to prophesy the word. Sometimes you're frustrated with the church. And sometimes you frustrate the church. But continue to preach my word. And insist upon the obedience to my word. But he said to me, you can't make him do it. You can't beat him into submission. It's something that comes by choice. When you're a love slave, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, you chose to subordinate yourself. You chose to obey him. You chose to be the true elect. You chose to be the true church. You chose to say yes to Jesus. He won't make you do it. He won't make you live it. He won't. He'll insist on obedience, but he won't beat you into submission because a bond slave is there by choice. And the bond slave walked up. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. The bond slave, after his time of service was complete in that house in the Old Testament, he might have gotten married in that house. And having gotten married in that house, had children in that house. And he walks up there at the end of the time of his service and he says, I'm through with my time of service. I fulfilled, I paid the debt, I paid the price. And I can walk out of this house free, footloose, and fancy free. But he goes to his master and he says, Master, he says, I don't want to leave this house. I want to be a slave for life. I want to be a slave not because it's mandatory of me. I want to be a slave because I choose to be a slave. Because I love my master and I love my wife and I love my children. I want to be a slave because I love you. I know I can walk out and be free of that service. But because I love you, I want to stay in a place of service. And the Bible said they would take that slave, that bond servant, and they would take him, put his ear over on the door. And they would run an awl through the ear of the ear right there, the earlobe on the door. Nail it to the door. And he'd walk away with a hole in his ear as a sign that he's a love slave. And so when you talk about a bond servant or a love slave, it's somebody who's had their ear nailed to the door. And the Bible said that Jesus is the door. So I've nailed my ear to Jesus. It is John, the writer of the book of Revelation, who laid his head on the door. Jesus Christ. And it is John the Revelator because he laid his ear on the breast of Jesus that got the revelation of Jesus. And if you're willing to lay yourself down, put your ear on Jesus, the true door, and say, I give my life to you, Lord, because I love you. I serve you because I love you. Dear Lord Jesus, nail my ear to you. Then you'll be a bond slave, a love servant of Jesus Christ. Somebody who gets a word from God, a revelation from God. And so it's written and it's read to bond servants. The true church, the living elect, love slaves of Jesus Christ, obedient servants, subordinate servants. That's who this book's for. 
If I preach to you today and you're not that servant, you'll never understand a word I'm saying. But if you are a bondservant, you will hear the word of the living God. You will say, yes, that's to me, God. You're warning me as a church to walk in obedience to you, God, in the light of the soon coming persecution. You're warning me, oh God, you're telling me to be obedient, God. You're telling me to repent so I can be blessed and not go through great, great wrath and judgment upon me. Hello, somebody. Doesn't mean I might not suffer persecution at the hands of men. But I won't experience the wrath of God if I will listen and obey. If I'll lay my ear upon the true door, Jesus Christ, and become a servant willingly and obedient to him. So he said, read it. I'm coming to a close. He said, read it. Say, read it. You know what you need to do? You need to take the book of Revelation and you need to read it to yourself. I don't know how many times I've read the book of Revelation over and over and over. It's an awesome book. You need to get it and you need to read it to yourself. I'm going to read it to the church out loud. I'm talking to the true church today. I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the living elect. I'm talking to the obedient. I'm talking to the subordinate. I'm talking to the love slaves today. That's who's I'm going to read it to. And that's who's going to hear it. Because you can't hear it without being nailed to him. It's for a remnant. It's for his remnant. That's why it's written in symbolic language throughout. Amen. So he goes on and says, blessed he that readeth. See, it's one of the Beatitudes of the, of the book of Revelation. Seven Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. Blessed. Empowered. Empowered. Come on. Empowered for prosperity. In, oh, God. Empowered. The word blessed means you're empowered. It's to be empowered from God. It's not just happy. You can get happy drinking a Slurpee. But it has to do with, when you talk about blessing, blessing is something that only God can give. God can, is the only one who can bless your life. God's the only one who can empower you to get wealth. God's the only one who can empower you to be spiritually strong. God's the only one who can empower you with peace, empower you with joy, empower you with victory, empower you with strength. He's the only one that can bless you like that. It's something that comes from God. So when I read it to you out loud, you are automatically empowered for blessing, for, come on, for peace, for joy, and for strength to overcome that which is to come. You're already blessed today. Just because I'm preaching from the book of Revelation. Just, if I never preached a word from it and I just stood up and read it to you. That would empower your life. It's the only book in all the Bible that has that written with it. Blessed are they that read. That's how much God wants you to get it, church. That's how much God wants you to hear it, church. That's how much service, bond service, love says. People who are in place of honor and authority to implement the master's plan in the earth. He wants you to hear it. He wants you to get it. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. He goes on and says this. Blessed are they that readeth and what? And they that hear the words of this prophecy. You can, I can read it, but it don't mean you heard it. I can preach it, but it don't mean you heard it. How many times you've come to church and I preach and you never heard a word I said? 
You were in another place somewhere, but you weren't in tune with God. You weren't hearing the word of God. It went forth, but you can't remember a word that was said because the enemy came and took that word away from you. But he said, read it. Blessed are those that read it and hear it. Spiritual ears to hear. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. If you've got a spiritual ear, God said, listen spiritually that you may hear. Be alert, be awake. Be aware. Be alert, be awake, be aware. What's going on in the world around you? Where you are in time? What's taking place? Understand, understand general prophecy. Understand the persecution of the saints. Understand the destruction of the kingdom of the beast. And understand the coming kingdom of God in a literal physical way. Understand it. Be awake. Be alert and be aware. Don't go asleep. Don't fall into a stupor by drinking the wine out of the harlot's cup. Blessed are they that, that read it and that hear it. And then he says, those that keep it. Keep it. That means they obey what's in it. That means that when they hear the message preached to the seven churches, they obey the admonition of the Lord to repent over certain things in their life. They obey God's word concerning what he requires of his bond slaves so that they can be prepared for his kingdom. They will keep and they will do what they have heard read. They will obey it. They will be doers, not just hearers of the word, deceiving their own selves. They are people who are greatly intent and focused on what the word of God is saying to them. They are so focused, friend. I'm telling you, there's like, it's just amazing. There's no distraction that could come in and take it away from them. They won't let no distraction come in. They won't think any other thoughts. They'll go to the loins of their mind and they'll receive the word of God in such an intense way. I want every word. They hang on every word. They're sitting on the end of their pews. They can't wait for the next word. They're ready to receive the word of God because they know it's vital. It's of vital importance to the believing and the unbelieving, to the obedient and the disobedient. They know every word is important. And they hear it and they keep it. Because they want to be what? Blessed and not cursed. The remnant wants to be blessed and not cursed. He says, he goes on. Blessed is he the reader that hear the word of this prophecy. Say prophecy. Prophecy. Prophetic word. A prophetic word. Prophecy. Amen. He said. He goes on. And I'm going to close. And keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. The time is at hand. It's in, it's in your hand. Now, I want you to know that spiritually we're already in the kingdom. But we're talking about the literal physical coming of Jesus. And the literal physical uh, setting up of the, the earthly kingdom is our main focus this morning. Hello, somebody. And I want you to know that the next thing on God's agenda is the soon return of Jesus Christ to set up his earthly kingdom. And, and preceding that is a seven-year time period called Daniel's 70th week, which lays out general prophecy, Persecution of the saints, the destruction of the beast and his kingdom.
kingdom and the setting up of the kingdom. In Daniel 7 and Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation, they all to go together to the church that will hear the word of God and prepare themselves for that agenda. Hello, somebody. Which means I'm going to be covering passages that one time you may saw in a different way. And I'm going to show them to you in a different light. Praise God. I'm coming to a close. But he goes on and says this, for the time is at hand. It's within your hand. It's within reach. It's within reach. It's near. The word near, the word at hand literally means it can be time or space. It's been 1,900 years since that book was written. So it couldn't have been near when the time it was written as far as its ultimate fulfillment. So it's not in the, as to time that it's near. It's as to space. What he's saying is once these things begin to take place, they will take place very rapidly. Once you find yourself in that space, once these prophecies begin to unfold, they will happen so fast. They will come cataclysmic. They will come rapidly. They will come unannounced in a sense. Catch you off guard if you're not reading and hearing and keeping. Come on, somebody. As a snare shall it come on upon all the world to try them. So it's near at hand. It's short it, by space. It means once it starts happening, it's going to be rapid. And so he says this, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. It was written to the seven churches in Asia. Did you hear what I said? The Bible said it was written to the seven churches of Asia. That means Revelation 1 to Revelation 22, every bit of it was written to the church. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? To the seven churches. And the number seven is the number of structure in the Word of God. Which also, what does that mean? That means that God has an order. He set it all up. He's in charge of all the events. There's a structure. The number seven is the number of structure. It means it's not in random. It's not a coincidence. In the, term, in the way we use the word coincidence. God set the structure up. Seven, come on, seven churches, seven candlesticks. Uh, come on, are you with me? Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, seven personages, seven thunders. There's no, it's not random, it's not coincidence. It is a structure that's set up by God. God is the one that is going to enforce every bit of it. And his name is Jesus. And he read it, wrote it to the churches. Seven churches of Asia. That, weren't the, that wasn't the only churches in Asia. There were more than these churches in Asia. But he picked out specific churches that heard certain characteristics. Uh, for the days of John, the message was for the days of John. And for the church upon whom the ends of the world are come. Do you hear what I said? It's not a book that is irrelevant to you. God didn't give the church the book of Revelation just so you could live through the first couple chapters. I said God didn't give you the book of Revelation just so you can live through the first two chapters. God gave you the book of Revelation so that when you get in that seven-year tribulation period, you will be able to see what? The beast and his kingdom. You will know the apostasy that's going to take place. And you will know that you're in the time of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And you'll know the persecution of the saints is at hand. And you'll know his kingdom, the beast kingdom's coming down. And you'll also know that God's kingdom's going to be set up. And if you'll be obedient and subordinate and walk with him as a remnant then you will be blessed in that kingdom 
number of structure. Hallelujah. It's the number of completion. It's the book of ultimates. It is also the book of the Jewish, it's also the number of the Jewish life. And I close with this. The number of the Jewish life. When you study the life of a Jewish man in the Old Testament, you will see this man had Sabbath days. The seventh day was the Sabbath day. This man had seven feasts that he observed. Come on. Sabbatical years, seventh year. Hallelujah. So what I'm trying to say, it was, a, it was the way of life for a Jewish man. And it also, and there were seven days of creation. And it also speaks of seven days to get cleansed and washed and purified. A Jewish man had seven days to prepare himself. Time to get ready to be purified and to be washed and to be cleansed. So by the end of it, come on somebody, when you get to the seventh day, you can enter into God's rest. Because you had been purified. You washed yourself. You had seven days to do it. And the church has been given time. And man has been given time. Seven millennium, 7,000 years of time. To purify himself and to wash himself. And to get ready for Jesus and his kingdom. Hear it, church. The struggle is great. The battle is intense. Troubled on every side. Paul said troubled without and troubled within. Troubled on every side. But this word from Revelation is for you. And it's for me. Because I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And it's for a true church. That's going to heed his word in the last days. Because he's revealing himself in you as a body right now. He will reveal himself in an ultimate sense in a visible manifestation and set up a visible kingdom to come. But preceding that will be a time of trouble that the world has never seen. And the Lord wants you to prepare yourself. Because that is the time you're living in now. And as we go along here, I'm going to show you why I believe. I know we're already in the last days. But I'm going to show you why I believe this is the last generation. I'm going to show you why I believe this message is so important to you. See, we're not a generation that says maybe it would happen. I believe we're a generation that can say, yes, it's going to happen. And that's why it's so important for us to understand and hear this word this morning. I close by rereading the scripture to you in, in Revelation 1, verses 1 through 4. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants... Things which must shortly come to pass. Say shortly come to pass. Rapid succession. It's near. He sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you right now for the awesome anointing of the Holy Ghost upon us this morning. And I pray for this church here. Dear Lord God, that your true elected are found in this place. 
that the remnant of God, the true bond servants and the true church of Jesus Christ that's found within this place and also God, all of those outside of this building that will hear this message God in all places, dear Lord Jesus that we would read it, that we would hear it and that we would keep it understanding the time in which we live God and let us be faithful oh God I pray to you Jesus in proclaiming and declaring the truth that's in its pages concerning the church the obedient the disobedient Israel in unbelief and coming into the kingdom and the nations in general in Jesus mighty name we pray give God some praise That's good. Give him some praise. You can stop recording. You can stop recording.